Welcome to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast, where you'll learn all the best tips, tricks, and practical techniques for building the confidence levels you've always wanted. With inspiring interviews, real-life examples, and game-changing insights, this podcast is for women who know that mastering the skill of confidence is one of the most important things they'll ever do. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast. I'm Anastasia Adams, and together with my business partner, Jody, we run Rise Women, a business dedicated to making confidence every woman's new normal. Okay, so today I'm really excited and if I'm going to be totally honest, I'm a little starstruck too because today I'm speaking with the super inspiring, super determined and just all-round super amazing Paralympian Ellie Cole. Uh, Ellie is just 29 years old but her list of achievements is just outstanding. There are actually way too many for me to go through right now but here is a nutshell version of what she's achieved and what she's been up to in the recent years. So Ellie's competed in pretty much every major swimming event you can think of. She's won numerous gold, silver and bronze medals at the IPC Swimming World Championships, the Pan Pacific Championships and of course the Paralympics. She's represented Victoria in the Women's National Wheelchair Basketball League. She's won numerous awards like the Outstanding Sporting Achievement Award from the Department of Education and Early Childhood Development and Cosmo Magazine's 2015 Sportswoman of the Year And she was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia in 2014 for her service to sport. And honestly, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. So back in 1994, when Ellie was just three years old, her parents were forced to make the excruciatingly painful decision to amputate her right leg due to a rare tumour that just would not respond to cancer treatments. Eight weeks after her surgery, she was put into swimming lessons as part of her rehabilitation. And well, the results of that pretty much speak for themselves. She's also more recently undergone a double shoulder reconstruction, which threatened to end her swimming career, but even that would not stop her. From what I've read and seen, Ellie's parents were always supportive and never put any limits on what she could achieve. And I think Ellie's success is a testament to their amazing attitude and belief in her strength and her abilities. I mean, she doesn't remember having cancer. I mean, she was only three years old and she grew up not even realizing she was disabled because it was all she knew. And today she's here to tell us more about what's gotten her through the tough times in life and brought her to this point where she's an amazingly talented, successful and confident woman. So Ellie Cole, welcome to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast. That was a brilliant introduction. Yay, thanks. (laughs) Probably the best that I've heard and I couldn't stop thinking like if my mum was listening to this, she'd be in tears. And I also feel like that wasn't really me that you were reading about because I also suffer from the classic imposter syndrome oh, but God, really terrible. great job I, I wouldn't is, be sa- starstruck <laughs> if you I mean it doesn't make sense that someone like you would suffer from imposter syndrome honestly because your list of achievements are just incredible um, and obviously you've had to go through so much more adversity than you know so many others in life and you just get on with it and I love that oh thank you I think it's just a matter of getting on with it <laughs> I know it is isn't it? it it's sometimes it's really that simple you just get on with it Um, All right, so let's start by you telling us a bit about yourself and your life journey so far. Right. I'm just trying to fill in the blanks from what you said (laughs) because you are very thorough. Um, Like like you said, I'm um, a 29-year-old female living in Sydney, currently training for my fourth Paralympic Games in swimming. Yes. Um, Heading to Tokyo later this year, so I'm pretty nervous about that. Um, But was diagnosed with cancer at the age of three, and like you said, I have no memory um, but grew up very different to every other kid. Sorry, that was my dog. That's okay. <laughs> grew grew up puppies. very, yeah, uh, grew up very different to most of my friends yeah. uh, without necessarily realizing that I was different. Um, and it wasn't until I got a little bit older and I guess stereotypes started coming into play. Yeah. Um, and then I, I realized how damaging other people's opinions can be. Um, but thankfully found Paralympic sport where anybody that has a disability really thrives and loved that environment. And it was a really positive environment for me. Um, And so I started uh, Paris sport, I think when I was about eight years old and made my first swim team when I was 14 and now I'm 30 and I'm still doing it. How Um, great is that? It's obviously uh, a passion. Otherwise you wouldn't still be doing it, right? It's a huge passion, but I'm, I'm starting to get the questions around pool deck of, oh, you know, when are you thinking of retiring? And oh, I'm still surprised to see you here. Because <laughs> all athletes have a shelf life, right? But I can't see you slowing down anytime soon, to be honest. 
Well, I remember on my first swimming team, um, one of the more experienced athletes said, you know, blink and you'll be 30. And I didn't really listen, but it's true. Like it's just happened so quickly, but I've loved almost every second of it. Um, and it's, it's given me so much. So it's going to be very difficult to walk away from. Yeah, I can imagine. But I'm sure you've got other things lined up to kind of fill your time because you don't seem like the type of person who just puts everything into one basket. You sort of spread your yourself, yeah, and, and just yeah. do different things. I, I actually love, and I want to bring this up now before I forget, um, I was watching your um, the documentary that you're in, Rising Phoenix, and there was an amazing thing that you said in the beginning about um, – you know, in the Olympics, everyone's bodies are the same. And in the Paralympics, nobody's body is the same. And I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's such a simple concept, but it really, it, it stuck with me. And I just thought it's something that, you know, able-bodied people would never have to deal with in their life. We, we never feel that distinction because like you said, it, all our bodies are considered to be the same. Um, and I can imagine that would have been, it would have put like a different undertone to you growing yeah. up. Yeah. It did. And like in a way, obviously, we all do have different bodies, but yeah. our favorite thing to do is compare ourselves to each other. That's true. But when you go to an um, environment like the Paralympics, it's um, an incredible experience where everybody is just so different that you don't compare yourself to anybody else. Yeah. And that must be liberating. It is very liberating, especially um, like in Australia, we're quite lucky, but you know, in a lot of third world countries, you're outcast if you have a disability. Yeah. Um, and then you come to an environment like the Paralympics where nobody is staring at you, nobody is treating you any differently. And it's more of a message of like, what can you do instead of what can't you do? And um, it's, yeah, yeah it's really great. I love shift. it. Oh, yeah, I like that. that that's an it's a huge perspective. It. And even like well, me walking around just the streets of Australia, yeah. Um, people from older generations, um, you know, generally look at me and think that I have a huge disability. Um, but then when I go to a Paralympic village, I'm actually one of the least disabled people in the village. Um, wow. And so for me, like that's a really important perspective shift as well. Yeah. yeah. It, it, give, it puts you um, at a different place in that scale, right? And, and, yeah. and I like what you said about it's not about what you – I mean, when people see you with a disability and they don't have one, then they're automatically thinking – if that happened to me, what could I not do? Whereas at the Paralympics, everyone's looking at each other going, well, well, what can you do? What can you do? And, and that's a great perspective <laughs> shift. I love that. Um, yeah, it's it's been really great to grow up with that idea um, as I've kind of developed into my adulthood. And Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> what like amazing experiences. And to start so young too at 14 – which, you know, they're the formative years and they can kind of make or break your adulthood really when you're a teenager, depending on what kind of experience you have. So to have those positive experiences at an early age, mm. I'm sure that would have been really helpful. Yeah. And like I've had a lot of positive experiences, but I've also in swimming like had a lot of negative ones. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty full on, but it's it's challenging. No one wants to go through a boring life. And no, it's interesting. My, my life not interesting. hasn't been boring. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh God, it's so challenging sometimes, but um, I feel like the more difficult it is and the, the more that you learn to overcome those difficult periods, like the more rewarding it is at the end. Yeah, and, and the tougher you become, yeah, the more resilient you become. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, we could probably talk about this for years. I know, we could. So <laughs> let's get on to our next question, which is what does confidence or being a confident woman mean to you? Oh, that's a, I understand that your whole podcast is about being confident. And when you asked me to be part of it, I was like, well, I feel like I'm not a very confident person, but I am. Um, Which is normal, right? We all have those moments of I'm nailing this thing called life and I'm so confident and other moments where you go, I have no idea what I'm doing. So it's totally (laughs) normal. But when, yeah, what, what does it mean to you to be a confident woman? Yeah, well, like when I look back over my swimming career, like I said, I was on the team when I was 14. So I've been on the swimming career for, um, on the swimming team now for almost 16 years. And um, my life is usually measured at the moment because all I've really experienced as a swim team is like when I've been the most confident on swim team and when I haven't. And so obviously it, it, you know, ebbs and flows. It's not exactly a linear equation, confidence. Yeah. but I think when I was at my peak confidence about myself and my performances, if I think back to those times, I can probably identify some common themes. Um, you know, there were times where I would have to say preparation for me would be really important. Yeah. Um, there are times where I have not prepared for a swimming race. I remember when I was 18, I was hitting the nightclubs pretty hard. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Which is what you um, do. 
Yeah, which is what you do. I'm glad I experienced those, but I would turn up to training and wouldn't perform the best that I could, you know, doing that week upon week, Um, stepping onto the blocks at the World Championships that year. I had um, terrible, like, confidence setback. So preparation preparation is probably one of the most important things for an athlete in terms of confidence, and I would have to say probably in overall life. Um, Another, I think, common theme for me would be the team that I've created around me. Um, in an, an athlete's world, it's not just the athlete. It's like the massage therapist, their family, their friends, their coach is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And all of those people in your inner circle, um, like I've had a few toxic people in my inner circle and, um, I don't know, jealousy comes in or we're not on the same path. And, um, it's almost like if you're fighting or conflicting with those people in your inner circle, that can really damage your confidence. Yeah, because it, it um, distracts your focus, right? You're no longer focusing on what you set out to do and your goals. You're trying to manage people. Yeah, I think the managing people can be really difficult. Yeah. Um, but I've seen plenty of businesses or sporting teams who have um, a lot of trust in each other. I think trust is really important. Yeah. Um. And are on like similar aspirations and similar goal and a similar path. And yeah. it just works so effort- effortlessly. That's so um, true. We talk about that all the time, that you need to surround yourself with the right people and essentially that's the people who are playing the same game as you, right? Like they yeah. need to be on the same page as you. Because if you've got yeah. people who are jealous or, you know, who, who love to complain about what they're not doing rather than actually getting out there and doing stuff, it's really hard to connect with people like that and it's hard to stay on track with your goals if you've got people constantly trying to pull you away from them. Mm. Oh, how great are complainers? That, I was sarcasm. <laughs> that was sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> uh, you are preaching to the choir because I cannot handle whinges. I'm like, just get I, on with I complain it. every now and then, but I wouldn't say I go to the extent of whinging. Yeah, like you if know. the pool's a bit, yeah. yeah. I, you know I, what I know. whinging is. Like there's complaining, oh, my God, it's too cold to get in the pool or I really don't want to do this today. And then there's people who are just perpetual whingers about everything. Oh, I know a few of those. Yeah, I think no, we no. all do. They're very common. <laughs> They're very common. So aside from being in the pool and kind of having that that network set up around you, when would you be the most confident version of yourself? Um. I think it's like when just everything comes together. Well, obviously we have our, our target competition. So this year is the Paralympics. Um, and it's so interesting at how everybody focuses on the end result. But for me, making sure that everything's working in like the process yeah. will ultimately lead to confidence. So at the moment I'm very confident because well, not, I'm not going to say like I'm confident I'm going to win a gold medal or anything. Uh, uh, <laughs> but That's all right. We'll say that because we kind of <laughs> <laughs> But I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be happy with my results in Tokyo right. because I know that the process that I've set up and, you know, the team that I've put around me and taking that ownership and yeah. um, all of those factors um, have been the best that I can make them. And so your prep work is there, your mindset is there, you're ready to go. Yeah. I think my biggest fear in terms of confidence is if I get to a swimming competition and I start questioning what ifs. And so it's kind of like I look ahead at that end goal and think, you know, what could the what ifs be and try and address those as soon as I can. So so that that I'm not creep up on you unexpectedly. Yeah, so that I'm not standing at the end saying, what if, what if? And I think that's where preparation um, can really come in in terms of confidence. But, yeah, I like yeah. that. And I think that could be applied to lots of areas in life. Like if you kind of think about the end goal and, and you do have to be practical and realistic and think about things that can go wrong. But if you address those issues before you get to that, then you're not, you know, on, on the board waiting to jump into the pool thinking, oh, what if this happens? Like it's so much harder to manage that fear and that self-doubt and those negative thoughts in the moment. Whereas if you've got techniques or, you know, systems in place to manage them as you go along in the process, like you said, um, you know, they're, they're less likely to affect you when it matters most. Absolutely. You know, this podcast is actually probably going to be very beneficial for me in, plan- in planning <laughs> in planning for Tokyo. As I'm saying all of these things, it's like I'm speaking to myself. I'm like, Yay. oh, you need you need to sit down and do a planning session. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through. We'll, we'll go through. We'll go through tips and, and figure out what you need to do. I'm so excited about Tokyo, by the way. It is one so of my favorite I. places in the world. Oh, um, same. It's so amazing. 
Um, all right. So tell me, what is something that you do that you know benefits keeping your confidence levels high? We've all got techniques. We've all got little things that, you know, like I know that if I get my hair done or I put some heels on or, I'm you know, I, I write a really great, I don't know, podcast episode or whatever, I know that, you know, that helps me keep my confidence levels high. So what is it that you do that helps you keep your confidence levels high? Oh, that's great. I would love to say high heels, but I can't wear high heels. Um, I, I, I'm very aware that everything that I'm saying in uh, this session is yeah. very much athletic based. That's uh, okay, but that's your focus. So that's totally cool. So uh, athletes are very numbers orientated in terms of, you know, stroke stroke rates or times in the pool or how heavy our weights are. And it's so I think for me, isn't it? It really is. So I think for me, um, you know, I have an idea of where I should be at what time. And as I'm hitting those times or hitting those weights or, I don't know, getting enough hours sleep, whatever it is, um, over time that probably produces confidence. Just continuous checking in and making sure that I'm where I want to be at that particular moment. But also not stressing out too much if I'm not because that means that something's not going right and I need to go and change something. So Which constant is like constant check-ins. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people don't take the time just to sit down and have a constant check-in. Like we saw that in COVID last year yes. when the whole world locked down and people finally had an opportunity to spend six weeks and check in with themselves. And we didn't know what to do with ourselves. No. We'd never done um, it before. I know. And like that reflection can give you so much insight into like what you want or what's going right for you and what's not going right for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and small steps, right? It's really hard to achieve big in one hit. It's that small small steps, consistency, you know, re- repetition, constant check-ins. It's little, little increments that will get you to that end goal. Yeah, the small steps are vitally important. Like it's great to have that big goal written on your wall. Yeah. Um, but if you continuously just think about that big goal, it can get very overwhelming if you don't have a plan on how to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we see that in athletes all of the time. Yeah. Um, it's those small steps. Like you want to leave a training session or your workplace knowing that you've done something better than when you got there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that you're not going backwards. And that's what I love about sport and like the Olympic cycles. You know, every 20 years you see like a quantum leap in performances. And then yeah. you've almost got to think, you know, what is it going to look like in 20 years and how can I get there first? Um, and kind which of preempt kind of, it. It's like a race within a race, really. Um, but, yeah, it's exciting. I love it. Yeah, but I um, like that I, because um, someone once told me, and I thought it was really valuable, sometimes you need to slow down to speed up. So mm. you do need to step back and have a look at your plan and, and you do feel like you may not be getting there as fast as you want to be, but you're kind of putting the stepping stones in place so that your end goal is secure. And, and I guess it's something like that, yeah? Like it may take 20 years to see that evolution, Um but but the steps that you've taken along the way, it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have done that. So you need to yeah. have those consistent little steps, you know, small incremental improvements to get to your end goal. Mm. And for a sport that can be very measurable, but, yeah. you know, for people it might not be so measurable. It just might be like a rating on scale of 1 to 10. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, checking in with yourself is so important because, I don't know, I feel like the mon- so things can get quite monotonous at times or overwhelming. Yeah. Um, But if you take a step back and just get a little bit of perspective, um, it's not as bad as you think it is. Like humans are great at catastrophizing everything. We really are. Sometimes we just need to talk ourselves off a ledge. I know. I know. Actually, I was, um, just a little side note, I was listening to your imposter episode the other day, Yeah. imposter syndrome, because um, I've just been given the news that I had to go into my staging camp an extra two weeks early for Tokyo. So I'm going to be away for almost 10 weeks now. And it was originally only six. Yeah. And so I went to this like really negative self-talk hole basically. And I was making things so much more difficult for myself. But then I listened to your podcast and I took a step back and was like, I'm making this harder for myself. Like I need to change those thought processes. And it was so great. It was great. And I actually sent the episode to our chef de mission for um, Tokyo because I feel like, you know, and everyone needs a bit of lifting up like that. Yeah, definitely. Especially <laughs> and it comes when it from yourself like, first. <laughs> uh, well, we're our biggest, our own worst enemies, right? Like our negative self-talk can be so destructive. Yeah, it oh, really That's amazing. Can, so. Oh, I love that story. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that. That's really valuable because, I mean, a lot of what we do is just, 
you know, sometimes we know things, but until you actually hear someone else say it or you put it into practice, it, it's different to know something and it's different to, you know, put that knowledge into action. So mm. it's nice to hear that that made some sort of an impact. It did. It really did. Wonderful. Well, I watched a video that you made, I think it was last year, um, for Who I Am. And you started by saying, um, and I love this because this is so me. You said, there are two options to look at something. You can either look at the negative side of it or you can look at the positive side of it. And that's the thing that makes the biggest difference. I think that's been one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Now, this statement resonated with me so much because I'm one of those people who always tries to find the positive in every situation. I'm like that, yeah, but, you know, someone will whinge and I'll go, yeah, but what about this? Um, but sometimes that can be really hard when all the odds seemed stacked against you. And I'm sure you faced you know, many times in your life where that's happened. So do you remember a time when you were struggling to stay positive and your confidence suffered as a result? And then what did you do to shift your mindset back to that positive place? Um, well, the example that I just gave then, mm. um, yeah, I find, you know, you can be really good at being positive sometimes, um, but that uh, step back and checking in is really important. Um, so I experienced that just the other day, but, um, in terms of, because I know there were issues around Rio, I think, wasn't it with, with the Rio Paralympics? Yeah, I had a few issues in Rio. It was more about the team that was in my inner circle. Yeah. Um, we weren't really on the same path and I was getting really down because, um, we have a benchmark competition every year. Yeah. And um, I wasn't performing very well at those competitions for quite some time. And yeah. we would go back to the drawing board and I would say, you know, what do we need to change? Like it doesn't matter that I didn't perform well. Like there's something wrong. What do we need to change? Yeah. Um, and at that time, um, my coach was very much like everything's fine. And you know when people like they're going down the wrong path and they just hope that things are going to get better? Like, yeah without being yeah. intentional about them and without really being proactive about fixing them? Yeah. So I was more of like on the proactive side of fixing things and um, the person who I was working with was more on like let's just hope things work out. Yeah. Um, and I knew from experience that usually doesn't work in, in sport. And so um, because of, I guess, my environment that I was in, it wasn't necessarily easy for me to leave that space. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of – just went along that hope path as well and which affected your confidence yeah which went to the next competition and then didn't perform very well and then went back we doing exactly the same stuff in the lead-in and then went back didn't perform well um and I found myself you know I'd just been to um the London Games and won four gold medals so I knew I was a good swimmer yeah um but I found myself in the um bathroom about half an hour before my 100 meter backstroke event which I was a world record holder in and yeah. Paralympic champion thinking that I wasn't good enough to be there because I had no confidence that's crazy and I I kept having to tell myself like who I was you know you're a gold medalist you're a world record holder you've been undefeated in this event for six years of and you deserve you to it. be here yeah yeah but and isn't it amazing just, how other people can get in our heads and I they may not have necessarily it. have said those words to you that you don't deserve to be here, but their attitude or, you know, their processes, they start to play on our minds and they can be really destructive. So you're right. If you don't have those right people around you, that toxicity can like have really, really destructive effects. It re yeah, it really can. And yeah. I think I, I was unaware of how much of an effect it was having until I was in a very high pressure environment. Yeah. Um, and then before I knew it, you know, the only things that I could think were negative thoughts. Um, and the, uh, that self-doubt self that I had in that crucial moment was like crippling. Yeah. So how do you stop that? How do you like literally pick a technique or do something to stop other people's, you know, whether it's their opinions or their, their lack of, you know, process or their lack of support or their limiting beliefs? What do you do to kind of switch that off and go right I need to take control of my own outcomes my own life now because it can get awkward sometimes especially if the people are quite close to you or you're you know I, dependent on them for training or whatever yeah it really can well yeah. in in that high pressure environment that I was in yeah. um right before my final I think I had about 30 seconds to turn that around oh, wow. and so <laughs> in, in that time I said to like all I had to say to myself is what if this works out um, and that kind of got me out of the bathroom, which was all I needed at that time. Yeah. But, you know, then, then I had to go home and then I had to deal with 
um, my team environment and like what wasn't working. And I finally had to like take more ownership of what, what I was doing. So be responsible. Um, you can't change what other people are doing, but you can change your response. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think repeatedly I had tried to change what other people were doing yeah. um, and it wasn't working and I just couldn't put myself through that again. And so um, I, I had to really take ownership, which I think is a really great tool at building confidence as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I tried to do everything as well as I could in terms – it felt like I was going through a breakup um, when I left my coach. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I had to try and do everything that I could, uh, you know, just to make sure that I was respectful about it. And, um, you know, I tried to salvage the friendship that was still there. but. Yeah. It was just all taken so personally in the end and I just kind of had to tell myself like it has nothing, the way that that was received, like you did everything that you could um, yeah. in the best way that you could and the way that that was received has nothing to do with you. It's hard, um, isn't it? But you do but need it, to tell yourself that. It was very difficult and it took it took about three or four months to find a new coach but I ended up, um, you know, what I thought was a terrible situation that I was in, I ended up training with um, Kate and Bronte Campbell, who were two of the fastest 100-meter freestylers in the world in the yeah. Olympics. And um, I've, it was such a great experience. I was trained with them for almost two years and I learned so much. And I just was, yeah, I, it was such a scary moment for me to leave my old program yeah. and all of that behind because I was comfortable almost like I knew what was going to happen. I, I had more, well, I had somewhat control. Um, and then I went into a new program that I'd never been in before that was um, very high expectations, very high in professionalism. And, out of your comfort I, zone. Very much out of my, yeah. nothing makes you more uncomfortable than being chased in the pool by Kate Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that never happens to me. I'm pretty sure it won't. <laughs> No, but just but, yeah, um, tip for everyone out there: you don't want to get no, chased in the pool by Kate Campbell. No, but it was such. It was, I learned so much, and I found my passion for swimming again because my confidence started coming back. Isn't that amazing? And now I never want to leave swimming ever again. Um, but I learned so much from the, like the experience that I had yeah. that I know that I, I will never put myself in that position again. Yeah, and I think um, the key but, there is that you took action. And I know it's hard and, you know, that stepping outside of your comfort zone is petrifying for so many of us in so many different situations, but you won't get a different result if you keep doing the same thing. So it's that taking action and stepping out of your comfort zone and, yes, being afraid and not knowing where you're going to end up, but kind of trusting in, I feel like I need to do this and, and I'll deal with whatever comes. And I think that is confidence at its core, that belief mm. in yourself that whatever happens, I've got this. Yeah, it was almost like having to take a leap of faith. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you hear people taking leaps of faith all the time, but you don't hear, you know, the two weeks leading in, they can't sleep and they can't eat and they feel sick about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the real life, like the, the behind the scenes of what taking a leap of faith actually looks like. Yeah, but it's it's so normal to feel that way. Mm. Um, I just wish that someone had told me that as I was going into it. <laughs> yeah, but you know but, what, uh, if they had, you probably wouldn't have believed it. You would have gone, no. Nah. Uh, I'll be fine. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, but now that I've been through that experience and that really difficult time, it's almost like my, like I said before, I think confidence really ebbs and flows a lot of the time. Yeah. But it's almost like it put my base confidence up to a new level. <laughs> nice. And then you build off that. Yeah, we talk about that all the time, that your, your foundation needs to be built of confidence. So if your base level of confidence is good, you can always build up and down from that depending on what experience you're going through. But if you've got yeah. that core belief that I have got this, you can go anywhere from there. Yeah, it's been great. I've been, I've loved it. Like as much as it was um, terrible to go through. Yeah. Like like I said, you know, those difficult times can produce some really great like rewards, and yeah, it, it has been a really the last four four years or so have been so rewarding. That's so even though the, even though the results may not have been exactly what I've wanted, like I still feel this like real sense of fulfillment about it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, in the work we do, we often speak to people about this fear of failure, right? That you're making a decision and the outcome, like you said, may not always be what you want. You may have an idea of what you want success to look like and your outcome may be very different, but you still feel like you've succeeded in your choice. But we found that this fear of failure is often what holds people back, right? They don't get to experience any sort of success because they're too afraid to even try just in case they fail. So I'm sure as an as an athlete, you've experienced this like try, fail, learn try, fail, learn all the time, this loop. 
um, I don't know how you guys do it. You athletes seem to have like this superhuman ability to fight through <laughs> failure. I don't like if I went to swim at the Olympics and I didn't get gold, I'd be so annoyed. I'd probably stew over it for the rest of my life. But you guys just Some go, right. right? Yeah, I know. But like you, but they're not the ones we see because they give up, right? The ones that we do see on TV are the ones that keep coming back and they keep fighting and then they come out stronger on the other side. So what's your secret when it comes to managing this failure? Like are you afraid of failing? And if so, what techniques do you use for yourself to push that fear aside? Um, it's such an interesting concept for me, failure, because, you know, we go through it as athletes almost every day. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something that doesn't work out. Um, and it's almost like as we grew up in the sport, we knew to, to expect that failure was going to be a huge part of it. Um, but it still doesn't make it hurt any less when it happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, but for me, I've completely changed my mindset on what failure is um, as an athlete as well. Uh, and it applies I to your really, life too? Do you find yeah, that it's like, not just in, uh, in swimming but also in life in general? Yeah, it, definitely in life in general. Um, it's, it's been really fascinating actually to kind of see what the real, my relationship and others' relationship with failure is like because yeah. some people um, – use it as a real positive and some people it can really eat them up inside Um, and it's it's based on basically just how you view what failure is um like for me now working through it a lot and and experiencing it quite a lot um it's kind of made swimming mean more to me in different dimensions it's not just if you want to go medal or not um and I was talking to this about uh, with this about about failure with Kate and Bronte last yeah. year, you know, I said to them, if I step into Tokyo and don't win, I'm still going to be so proud of myself um, on what, like, just doing the work, going through that process yeah. and kind of sticking through it. And so it's kind of like that end goal was completely different. But I actually have a really interesting story. So I'm going all over the place here. No, it's all right. Um, I love it. In the 400-meter freestyle final at the Rio Paralympics, yeah. I was leading the race for 399 meters and I got touched out by 0.02 of a second. You're over joking. Like, over like a four-minute 40 period, I got touched out by 0.02 and I lost the gold medal. Wow. Um, but I'd swum a great time yeah. and the last lap of the race, I put everything that I had into it. Like my earlobes were hurting, my shins were hurting, like everything was screaming. I could not have, I could not have put more into the race. Yeah. And so I remember I touched the wall and I could hear my team just go, ooh, like that from the grandstand. Uh-huh. And I was so excited for my time. Like I'd swum a great race, well, I thought was a great race. And I remember going back into the athlete's village and getting into the elevator and someone said to me like, oh, I'm really sorry that you lost. And I was like, I'm really excited. I, <laughs> I was like, I did a great time. Thank you very much. And I actually won a silver medal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's not a loss. No, it was fast. Like that was such a fascinating, like yeah. 10 second moment for me because I realized like that my um, value on success was very different to somebody else's. And your measurement of success. Yeah. And, yeah. and the measurement of it. Um, but then that has completely changed my relationship with failure too. Um, you know, you may have failed at one thing, but then you might find that you have worked on another area that you may not have been so strong in. Yeah, exactly. So, and if you look at this, the, like any sort of, you know, perceived failure as an opportunity to learn, then it, it does teach you something, right? Like there, there's success in, I, I followed through my process. I did the absolute best I could. I may not have gotten that end goal of a gold medal, but a silver medal is still something that 99.9% of the world will never have. Um, so you That's won there. So true. <laughs> um, but it's also that idea of, okay, so if I want to turn that silver into a gold next time, if that becomes my end goal, what do I need to do to get there? So there's always an opportunity to learn from, you know, what you might think is a perceived failure. Now, if for someone else the end goal was only gold medal, then it would be a loss to them. If they're not open to the opportunity to learn, they don't achieve that end goal. They've lost. Yeah. But for you, you've got a a broader kind of perspective on what success and failure is and that's why it didn't feel like a loss to you. Yeah, but I just found that moment like very, very fascinating. And like what you said, 
failures are such a great opportunity. Like I knew as soon as I got out of the pool, although I did the best that I could and it was a great race, yeah. I pretty much learned instantly not to sprint the first 100 metres of a 400 freestyle. Face yourself, Ellie. <laughs> yeah, because when I turned at that 300 metre mark, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble here. But, yeah. um, <laughs> See, but there's an opportunity I, to learn. Yeah, I learned heaps and I'm, I know now not to do that. Yeah. Um, but at that time, before I started the race, I, I didn't know that. And so at that time, that was the best that I could do. Yes. Um, and, yeah, it was a really great opportunity for me to learn. But it's been interesting. I, people bring up that 400-meter performance all the time and I, I don't think about it. Like I don't stew over it. It was the best yeah. that I could have done. End of story. What a great attitude to have. Like I did my best, I learned from it, and then I just move on. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Tell me, did you win a gold after that? Um, that was the one where I won the 100 meter backstroke, and I had that imposter syndrome attack uh-huh. in the changing room. So it was not a, it was not the um, the best experience for me that Paralympics. No, I could imagine. <laughs> but you must have the, the personal development and the growth that would have come from that. It probably changed like the course of your career after that because you can't go through experiences like that and not come out a different person on the other side. Yeah, it was quite um, that that games. Although it wasn't pleasant, like I said, it was um, quite monumental in in, in the personal development because yeah. I questioned myself minute after minute um, for a ten day period on you know if I was good enough, if I wasn't, and um, when I was in that really, it was it was exhausting. It was ten days of it actually. Yeah. Um, but gosh, I learned so much about myself, and yeah, it's just a whole new perspective on what being an athlete is. Yeah, and imagine if everyone just applied that to everyday life. Like, yeah. you know, things may not go the way I want them to go or I may have negative thoughts and I may have really strong self-doubt or I may not get the outcome that I want to achieve but I'm willing to learn from this experience and move on. Like if we all had that belief in ourselves that I've got this and, and whatever happens, whether the experience is fantastic or whether it's really challenging, I'll come out of this with, you know uh, – enough personal development to make the next step better if we all had that like the as a foundation that would be just incredible yeah and I think like if you think of the word experienced whether that's in the business sense or an athlete sense or a personal sense yeah you know an experienced person is somebody who has literally been through experiences that's exactly and right they're not always positive experience people people want to see people go through those negative experiences because it builds that resilience yes and that um that fear that sorry it doesn't build that fear of failure if you go through those negative experiences and come out the other side learning something like that's that's what the whole word experienced actually means that is so true that's such a Mm. good yeah such a good um view on that and I think um for some reason struggle is relatable right so if we know that someone else is struggling or someone else is challenged we can relate to that because we all experience it um, and, and it gives us a connection. So if I see that someone else is doing it hard but they got through it, it gives me the strength to go, well, you know, maybe I can do this too. Um, and that's yeah, where I, that value of experience comes from, I think. Yeah, and I, I'm seeing that a lot in the moment with the um, Paralympic team. You know, we have to go over to a country that's riddled with coronavirus, well, I wouldn't say riddled, yeah. but has coronavirus um, and everybody is so scared because they don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, but the common theme that I'm seeing from people saying to each other is, you know, we're going through this together. We're going through the experience together. Like everyone's feeling it together. Yeah. Um, and it's before we ever even gotten there, it's already created such a close bond with our team. And there's strength in that, isn't there? Just knowing that other people are, are going through what you're going through. Mm. Yeah. There, there's something in that. I don't think I'm going to be throwing myself a pity party in quarantine because oh, I'm going to have no. about – I'm going to have about 500 other athletes going through it with me. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's, there's, you know, you learn from other people. You can talk to people and when you realise that your fears are shared and your self-doubt is shared and that person's feeling what I'm feeling, you're not alone anymore. And there is things, that, you know, there are things that you can talk through or it's less isolating. You don't feel like I'm the only one feeling this way because I'm sure you're not the only athlete, who, athlete who's dealt with, you know, imposter syndrome and negative mm. thinking and all that. It's, it's rampant. Because the higher you set your goals and the more you want to achieve, the more space that negative, you know, thinking and doubt has to play with. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing that mentality come out a lot 
in the media lately, you know, about sharing your vulnerabilities and, you know, being scared and it's okay to feel this way because it's normal. And uh, people are embracing that way more now because they feel like that they're not the only person experiencing that. Um, And then that in itself can build confidence. You know, it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, it's just that it's it hasn't been spoken about as openly as it is now. Yeah, yeah, and removing that taboo, you know, making it a less stigmatised topic. I actually went to um, – last night I was at a soccer game for my son. You know, he wanted to go watch Sydney FC and um, Melbourne was playing and there was um, – you know, the kids kind of went on the field beforehand and I realised that leading up to the game they were constantly making announcements over the, the loudspeaker so the entire stadium could hear it and they were talking about athletes supporting each other. And soccer players constantly checking in on each other and going, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to support you? And I've never heard that at a soccer game before, ever. I've never heard that either. That's it amazing. It was incredible. And I'm thinking there are people here and, and it's a topic that, you know, a lot of men don't talk about either. And it, there are people here who have probably never been asked this question and it was so great to just hear it out in the open, you know. And, yeah, and once we address great. it, yeah, it was really, really good. And I love that it's in – the sporting forums, because if you bring it out in every kind of industry, you know, it's mental health is a big deal in the workplace now. And then we bring it out in sport and we bring it in schools and then it starts to infiltrate all areas of our life. Um, If we're checking in on each other and we're keeping each other positive and focused and confident, then the world can only get better in my mind. Yeah. Well, um, when I was growing up in swimming, we didn't have what we have now, but, um, Recently, Paralympics Australia have just implemented, uh, and um, Australian Sports Commission yeah. have just implemented an athlete health and well-being um, space. I love it. Where they've they've employed well-being officers who, you know, make sure that we have a life after sport, and we're planning through that. But also how our mental health is going, you know, throughout the year, and if we need help with anything. Um, and athletes can now actually. Uh, categorised athletes can now access um, free mental health services, which has just been a game changer. Yeah, like, um, and I've I've found that athletes are so much happier just having that alone yeah. now, and um, you know, coming to training happier, um, more fulfilled, and it's having like a rub on effect on the rest of the team. It's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Even if you never have to use a service, the the fact that you know that it's there is enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well. COVID, COVID has played a big role in that. And thanks to COVID, obviously the 2020 Tokyo Paralympics were postponed. Um, And I saw you say in an interview that it was really demotivating and difficult to stay positive when you didn't have a goal to walk towards because, you know, goals are kind of what drive us forward. So why is Mm. it so important for you to have clear and defined goals, not just, you know, swimming goals, but just in staying motivated? Like who helps you create those goals? How do you stay accountable to them? What kind of, what impact do goals have? in the way you live your life and the way, you know, you swim? Uh, well, we, we learned how to goal set in swimming from the age of, I think, eight years old. Wow. Um, which was a great tool to learn yeah. um, when you're young. Uh, keep Goals definitely keep you on track. You know, obviously having the big ambitious goal at the top, like I said before. Yeah. Um, but then how you're going to get there are the stepping stones and they're usually like your smaller goals. Um, my goals for me – in swimming come down to things that are very specific. Like at the moment I'm working on um, my left hand catch and my backstroke. (laughs) That is very specific. (laughs) I know. it's. um, I pick these little things each week that I want to improve about my technique or about my fitness. So really intentional goal setting. Very intentional. And I haven't missed a training session in I don't even know how long. Because I know that that's like a missed opportunity for me to work on that small goal that I have. Yeah. Um, if I was just getting in the water and swimming but not really know what I was swimming for, it oh, gosh, I would get black line fever in half an hour yeah, tops, yeah. you know, like. Um, and so those small goals and keeping my, my mind focused on that, like one intense thing for me has been really important. And I've been doing that for 16 years, you know. Um, well, it's clearly so working. It's clearly very, working. A very long time. But, you know, if you look on the other side of that, actually, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Um, I haven't set too many, like, personal life goals because I'm so focused on Tokyo this year. Yeah. But it's left me wondering, like, what what am I going to do after Tokyo? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like I need to sit down and, you know, step back, like I said before, 
and, and go through that experience again because at the moment, like if I think about my personal life, um, like my relationships are all great, but my professional life, I'm feeling quite lost because I don't have those goals there to direct me yet. Post-Tokyo goals. Yeah. 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 I guess it's all, yeah, it's relevant to your experience, yeah. So like at the moment Tokyo is the next big thing in your sights, but I guess, yeah, there is like a strategy session. You've got to kind of yeah. think what's next because once you and get it, there, it's a bit too late, isn't it? Yeah, it really is a bit too late. Um, but, yeah, that's that, those planning sessions that I was I was talking about before. But yeah. in terms of staying accountable to goals, um, for me, what works for me is I let people in my inner circle know what I'm working on or, or what I want to do. Yeah, because um, so it makes it real. It, it does make it real. Yeah. And, you know, I think it also puts everybody on the same path and the same page as well. Yeah. It's um, easier so, for them to support you, I guess, if they know what you're up to. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but that's that's almost like a daily check-in as well. My coach is walking up and down to the side of the pool at the moment saying left hand, left hand, left hand. <laughs> Just and I'm like, I wish I, like, I wish I didn't tell you that goal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you regret it sometimes? Go, by the way, my goal has changed just to get him to stop. Yeah, my goal has changed into you not talking to me for that yeah, stuff yeah. now. <laughs> that, that, that's my half-hour goal, small goals. <laughs> it's funny though because small goals lead to small wins, right? And sometimes we kind of underestimate the value of small wins. But I think a lot of confidence comes from um, amassing those mini achievements. You, you set a small goal, you achieve a goal, you, you put it aside as a win and you go, right, I've got that under my belt, another small goal. And, and that consistent small achievement is what builds up to the bigger achievements and that's where that confidence comes from. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think that that's where that consistency comes into play. Yeah. Um, checking in all of the time obviously comes into play too. Yeah. But it's also ve- it's very fulfilling um, for that person to be ticking off things yes. as they're going along because, um, you know, some big goals can be five-year plans, 10-year plans or one-year plans, but a really long way away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're not fulfilled along that way, you can be uh, – yeah, those, those goals can fall apart quite quickly actually. So those small goals are vitally important. Yeah, yeah. well, it's easy to lose motivation if you're not seeing wins. Uh, this is why yeah. I walk around with a pen and a highlighter pretty much everywhere I go. Every handbag has a pen and a highlighter because I'm a paper and pen girl. And I, even if it's like my shopping list, I need to be able to cross things off and go, oh, oh, I've achieved today. I set out to buy five things from the grocery store and I bought five things, crossed them off, I've, I've won today. Like it's that constant, you know, just reminding myself, I've set myself a little goal, whatever it is, crossed it off, move on. Because otherwise, if we keep them all in our head, all these different, you know, life goals, relationship goals, business goals, athletic goals, personal goals, if they're all just floating around in your head and you don't have some sort of structure around it, you just get weighed down by them, I think. Oh, definitely. And also, I, I feel great about my supermarketing before now. Yeah. But um. I, I went into a, a um, office at the New South Wales Institute of Sport yeah. last week, and and one of the managers had like all of her goals on the wall, and then she had a big mind map. Okay, it was huge. It was across her whole wall, and I was like, "This is great because these are like all of your thoughts onto a wall, and yeah. so they're not in your head anymore, and you can visually see them." And then um, athletes would come in and kind of write down things on a sticky note and like put them on the wall. So that kind of she knew what she needed to do, or where she like where they wanted to go, and how that related into this big mind map. It was amazing. That's fantastic, and it also gives them an insight into what makes her tick, right? So yeah, you know, she'll make a decision, and they'll look on this mind map or these this goal list, and go, "Oh, I get it. I get how that you know the context of that, how that fits into what you're trying to achieve." And there's yeah, that was- thing about vulnerability and authenticity and being open, and this is what I'm getting at, and this is why. Mm, that communication side of things yes. is really important too. Yeah, it was just, I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, and I think my wall next week is going to look like a scene from <laughs> the, be- the Beautiful Mind. Um, yeah, it was just fascinating. I just love seeing how other people work too. might not necessarily work for you, but yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, But it's great because if we have people around us, which is actually going to lead to my next question, but when we have people around us who are – you know, similar in that sense, um, you know, you want people who are diverse around you because they'll challenge you a bit, but people who are playing the same game and are really intentional and, you know, I've got a goal, I've got a plan, I've got structures in place, we can learn from them. So you probably have, you know, a mind map in your head, but to see it displayed like that, it just gives you a different view on what you can do. 
Yeah, it really does. Um, our minds can get so muddled yeah. and our goals can also get really muddled. Um, sometimes simple is better. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think we see that play out a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jodie and I always we always talk about how important it is to have the right people around you. You know that pe- those people who hey, say yes, you can that that really positive, encouraging attitude. Um, I think I might know the answer to this because I've seen videos of your mum cheering at the Olympics. But <laughs> who are your go-to support people, and what is it about them that makes you stronger and boost your confidence? Like, what is it about these people? Um, you know, some we don't get to choose, but some you choose. How do they impact your daily life? Um, well, if I think back to when I was three, yeah. I'm going to go way back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, when you say people with that, that yes, you can attitude, uh, it was definitely my, my family were very close. Yeah. I, I have a twin sister and, um, there are a lot of activities that usual normal kids can do that I couldn't um, yeah. when I had my leg, leg amputated. Learning to walk was the first one actually yeah. with a prosthetic and there's so many cute videos of us when we're three and I, I fall over and she picks me up and she's like, you can do it. Oh my <laughs> and, I, and her little three-year-old voice. But then, you know, my memory flashes forward to learning how to ride a bike because that was really challenging for me because I couldn't keep one of my feet on the pedals like yeah. most kids can. Um, and the amount of times my bike would fall over and my sister would just pick me up and brush me off and put me back on again. Oh, wow. Um like having those initial, like those memories from such a young age, like I look back and you can't see me smiling, but I can feel I just it. think like that set up such a great foundation for yeah. the next, you know, 20 years in that yes, you can attitude. And so it taught me to say that to myself first, which is very important. Yeah. Cause that's what you've heard. Um, it's what you remember. It's different to kind of you know, come to an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old and go, yes, you can, when all they've ever heard is, no, you can't. But to hear that from three years old, that's so powerful. Yeah, it was really powerful. But um, I, I've seen how incredibly important my support network are when I'm going through those really tough times like I did in Rio or like post-Rio when I was like had next to no confidence. Yeah. Um. I guess they're just people that are in your corner and that just want to see you succeed. Like it doesn't really matter where they've come from or what relationship they have to you in your life. You always need people like that around you. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, once you surround yourself with uh, people that are very similar in that sense where they support you, yeah. you can also, it's quite obvious you can highlight who those toxic people are and, you know, those red flags, they start to appear. You can pick them sooner and sooner when you surround yourself with so much positivity all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know how to single them out and then you learn over time how to kind of extract them from your life. Yeah, and so I think, I think that's like a real learning experience as well. Yeah, and um, I know but, what you do. I know what you do, Ellie. I have the inside scoop on you because I saw it in an interview. I know what, what you do it? to bullies. I know what you do. I heard that story and I thought it was hysterical. I, do, I told my kids and my daughter's like, that's awesome. That apparently, I'm going to tell this story for you, some Go kid picked it. on you at school. I think it was the first day of high school, yes? And yeah, some, it was my first day. Some kid picked on you. They called you a pirate or something, which, yeah. mind you, I had to. I had like minor eye surgery the other day and had an eye patch on and got a whole day of pirate jokes. Not nearly the same as what you <laughs> copped, but I get it. it. Yeah, no, I can't even. Um, but then – you took your leg off and you threw it at him. Yeah, look, I didn't know how to handle my emotions. I think that's then. the best story ever. But you also said never got picked on again. No, I didn't. I did stand up for myself, but I, I kind of had a standard of how I knew I wanted to be treated, <laughs> and he did not. He did not rise to that standard Correct. whatsoever. Correct. So he got skewered, didn't he? Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's like one of my favourite stories. I'm like I have to bring this in because people need to know. If you see Ellie Cole on the street, don't annoy her. She may throw something at you and it could hurt. <laughs> no, now I see my, my um, approach to the people annoying me like that yeah. now is I just give them a big hug. It makes them feel even more uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> kill them with kindness. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've learned. I've learned. Okay, so no more throwing <laughs> prosthetics at people. Unless you want a good hug, yeah, no, yeah, no, no more throwing. Okay, okay, good to know. Good to know. We're safe. We're we're safe, everybody. Um, all right. So tell me, what's next for Ellie Cole? What is the next dream or goal that you're going after? My the Paralympics is the next goal, and that's only a few months away. Um, and then, but 
well, then after that, I'm going to come home and then really reassess if I, I want to do another 12 months, which I think I do. Yeah. Um, so swim into my 30s. Wow. Is that unheard <laughs> 30s. of? Is that unheard uh, of for swimmers? Basically, basically. I just love it so much. Um, but then yeah. I also want to start working and um, exploring different options with work because I've never really had a job. Like I've, I'm 30 and I've never really had like a, a paying job, like That's a nine-to-five job. I know. So I'm really excited to learn a lot about myself in that space. Oh, look, it's so overrated. Um, I'd rather be swimming every day. <laughs> that's, I think that's why I'm so soon because I've heard people say that to me for the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm very excited to learn heaps about myself in that space and see kind of what, what I like and what I don't like. It's kind of like being born again. It's kind of like, um, you know, when people retire at 60 and, yeah, and they yeah. need to find new hobbies and experiences. Like I'm going to be going through that and I'm really excited. A new lifestyle. Yeah, that's very cool. I read somewhere that you were um, mentoring. You like to mentor other kind of upcoming athletes. Is that, is that I, I something that you'd like to do? Yeah, I, I, would, I don't necessarily um, – I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I mentor them. I just try and be a good example. Yeah, I think that's um, how you mentor them. <laughs> but I, I love the idea of staying around like Paris sport as long as I can. Yeah. And so I think I'm, I'm definitely going to be involved in some capacity, whether that's a mentor or something else. I'm, I'm pretty sure it will be a mentor. Yeah. But um, who knows? That's that's the exciting thing. I'm going into like so much of an unknown. Yeah, yeah. But I'm excited great. about it. Yeah. Love it. Okay, guess what it's time for? Rise um, Women, final power questions. Are you ready? Oh, wow. I know. It sounds really fancy, right? There's no, five of really them. That's a really great title. Okay. <laughs> There's five of them. They're quick, short, sharp answers. Hit me with what you've got. You ready? Um, I'm actually really nervous. Okay. No, no, no. Don't be, don't be nervous. They're easy. Um, tell me, number one, what do you wish every woman knew? Um. Okay, I wish that every woman knew that they had the confidence within themselves to unleash if they surround themselves with the right people. Oh, my God. Magic. Excellent. I wish all women knew that too. I know. So do I because I see it all the time but yeah. they don't. We can see it in them. They can't see it in themselves. <laughs> I know. Other than swimming, of course, what is your superpower? Um, my superpower – I wouldn't say swimming is a superpower, by the way. Uh, yeah, it is. Um. I can hold a heart rate for quite some time. No, my oh. other super, my other superpower. I would have to say I don't really get frustrated easily. Um, like I said, in swimming, I might have something wrong with my technique, and for me to fix it, I have to do say ten thousand arm revolutions in the water, and yeah. I'll probably get it wrong for nine thousand five hundred of those. <laughs> um, but I just keep going at it until it's right. So just chilled. Your superpower yeah. is I can remain chilled in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. I like it. What's Just get your f- on with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Just get on with it. What's your favourite quote or rule that you live by? My favourite quote was one that I found in 2008 right after I got home from the Beijing Paralympics. Yep. And it was um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. All right. That must be so relevant to you. It really is. And yep. I think that's why it's my favourite. Yeah, love it. Who inspires you and why? I really get inspired by um, women in leadership roles. And so when I was younger, it used to be sportswomen, yeah. but now I'm looking towards like, so like Julie Bishop. I think she is the biggest badass. Pretty nice. much any woman who can walk into a room full of men and hold still hold the ground. room. Yes, I love it. And um, I've recently been listening to a few podcasts on Raylene Castle who yeah. was the CEO of rugby in Australia. Yes. And, yeah, she was she was talking about the difference between, like, men and women in the workspace. And she said that a man will see, like, a job description and see, like, a list of five things that they can't do but apply anyway. And then a woman might look at the same job description and think, oh, I can't do those and think that they're not worthy enough. And she was like, girl, throw your hat in the ring. And yes. that really res- that really resonated with me. We talk about this all the time. It's actually come from a study that we use all the time that I think the, the percentages are around a man will apply at 60% capacity and a woman will apply mm. at 100. We need to be sure that we can tick all the boxes before we'll apply for a job, whereas men will see 60% and just decide to wing it for the rest. Um, and that obviously comes down to our confidence and, and what we think we're capable of. Um, huge, huge difference. Those statistics are incredible. I know. But, um, yeah, she's lived through that experience herself. She applied for the CEO position and she got it. 
I was like, wow, I'm just going to start applying for every job I can find that I want. Yeah, why not? We um we actually did a, a podcast episode recently about applying for jobs and there was stuff in that and there was also things in it about you don't have to tick all the boxes because an employer doesn't want someone who can do everything. Mm. If you can do everything, then you'll be there for two weeks and then you're like, I'm bored, I'm out of here. So they actually <laughs> want someone who has that ability and that, that space to grow and learn and develop and, you know. Um, so there, yeah, it's a, definitely an interesting, interesting statistic, and a great person to inspire you. Okay, last one. Yeah. Finish I, this I sentence. Like, I feel like we're doing a really terrible job at these quick answers, by the way. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. No, no one's got a, a stopwatch on us. We're good, <laughs> but we are on the last one. So the last one is finish this sentence. If I had even more confidence than I do now, I would. If I had even more confidence than I do now, oh, what would I do? Well, oh gosh, the sky's kind of the limit with that, isn't it? I think yeah. I feel like okay, this isn't going to be a quick answer, by the way. That's right. But I feel like all of the um, positions that I've put myself in, where I've had really low confidence, I haven't gotten the outcome that I've wanted, yeah. and I feel like that's based purely on my confidence. So I feel like if I had more confidence than I do now, I would probably put myself in so many more positions than I do now without like any fear yeah so fearless choice I would say I would be fearless I guess that would be the end result I would be fearless oh, what a great spot to be in yeah mm. I'm awesome. gonna I'm really gonna work on that good that, that's your that's your homework <laughs> Ellie you have homework <laughs> you need to go off and be fearless I will. Amazing, amazing. Well, I think that's it for today. Ellie Cole, thank you for being such an amazing guest. I have enjoyed every minute of our conversation today and I cannot wait to see what else is in store for you. And we wish you all the very best for 2021 Paralympics. We cannot wait to watch you on our screens and cheer you on every step of the way. It's been great. Thank you so much. I've loved it too. Amazing. And if everyone's enjoyed today's conversation and you'd love to hear more Secrets of Confident Women, Uh, Please don't forget to subscribe and share because we want our message to get out to all women in the world. Confidence really is something that you can create and master if you put the work in. So if you'd like to know more about how we can help you with that, just head over to risewomen.com and always remember, with confidence, anything is possible. Bye for now.